joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, once again, again, good morning. Thank you for the way that you have uh, worshipped this morning. I appreciate uh, for those of you that were able to, uh, to give a little more this morning. If you would like and were not able to, uh, feel free to drop that off uh, this evening or tomorrow at the office, and we will make sure that gets to where it needs to go. Uh, in the way of giving, a few weeks ago, uh, we took up another special collection uh, for Eugene and Tracy uh, Marbet. This is uh, Brooke DeLeon's mom and dad. They, uh, of course, uh, lost several things uh, or lost their home in the tornado that came through a few weeks ago, and they uh, have a card for us, and it says, We are so grateful to all of you for generosity, love, and prayers. Words cannot describe how much we love and appreciate all of you. Pray for us as we start our new path that God has planned for us. And so I, they're actually with us this morning, and, and we're grateful that they're with us this morning and uh, enjoying some grandbaby time on the pew. They, that's, the, that's the best time in the world right there. Um, but thank you so much for the way that you give, uh, the way that you give in a selfless manner. Uh, that is a, a great attribute of this church, and I uh, appreciate it. I know those that receive those gifts appreciate it as well. I was listening to a comedian um, last year around Father's Day. This popped up, and I, and I think it's very true. I've, some people say I have a sore spot on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Um, I think the comedian summed it up pretty well. He said uh, in, in the rankings that he saw of most important holidays in our country, number one is Easter. Number two is Mother's Day. He said, so it's Jesus and your mama, and Father's Day is number 12, below both Halloween and Arbor Day. I'm not really sure what that says about dads, just throwing that out there, but I think it does show that our mothers are very important. They're very special to us. I learned a lot of things from my mom. She told me that I better mention her this morning, so hello, mom. Um... She said she'd be watching. My mom taught me that chocolate gravy is the only gravy that you can put on a biscuit. Some of you may argue with me on that, and that's fine. That's fine. You do you, I'll do me. Chocolate gravy is the way to go. My mom taught me that little switches hurt worse than big switches. Uh, I had this grand idea one day that I was fixing to get in trouble. I was fixing to get a spanking, and we had what uh, they called great switch bushes. I was not a big fan of them myself. Um, and I figured, you know what, the big ones hurt. Let's go get a little one. I did that once. Um, that's not the case. She helped me learn that lesson. Um, there was also maybe my favorite moment in my life with my mom uh, was the moment that I, she thought that we were going to die when I was driving. I was 15, and we were pulling in to the cemetery with my great-grandmother. To uh, My, my great-grandfather had just recently passed. We were going to the cemetery um, to let her go out to his graveside. Um, I misjudged the turn just a little bit, and I took the turn into the cemetery at about 35 miles an hour. And um, 
my mom yelled and screamed and, you know, hit that fake brake that's over on that side of the, on that side of the car. And um, my great-grandmother goes, Melinda, sometimes it's just important that we make it. So that's probably one of my favorite moments with my mom. But mothers are very important. Mothers are very special. And I know that you have lessons that you've learned from your mother. And as moms, you've tried to instill into your children. I also want to just take a moment and acknowledge something this morning. And that is, as much as we love and enjoy many of us uh, Mother's Day, for some mothers, it is not always the most joyful day. Uh, You are reminded of maybe not having your mother with you. You are reminded maybe of children who are not with you. Uh, You're reminded of children who may have turned uh, away from their faith and walked away, not necessarily from you, uh, but from the things that you taught them and tried to instill in them. And on this day, we know uh, that that is also a part of this day. And and we uh, want you to know that we love you even despite maybe the challenges and and the the emotions that that surround this day, uh, but that you are loved as a mother here in this church family. I want us to talk about the responsibility of moms, and not just moms. This lesson is not really just for moms. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of passages that really emphasize the actions of a mother, uh, in part- a particular mother, but really and truly as parents, for those of us that are parents, and uh, for, for grandparents even as well, and then also the next step is disciple church members who are helping raise the children within this church. It, you know, the, the story goes that it takes a village to raise a child, and it does. This is our village. This is our family, and everyone in here is... Uh, a part of the raising of these children, and these are things that you can help along the way. So it's not just for one group this morning. This really goes across the board. But I want us to talk this morning about Timothy and his grandmother and his mother. There's a lot of things that we can learn um, from, from them and the things that they did uh, and the things that you see in Timothy's life that came from these two very special women and things that three things that we need to do in our lives to instill in our children as well. Uh, so we're going to start in Second uh, Timothy chapter three and um, verse fourteen. He says, uh, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have become uh, and have been. I'm sorry, and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it." Um, who is he talking about? Who has he learned all of these things from? He has learned these things in his life from his grandmother and his mother. Two very important people in his life. I, I love the idea of that we're going to see maybe later in another passage that uh, Timothy is, is brought up in a, a split house. Brought up in a split house. His mother is a faithful Jewish Israelite believing Christian woman, and his father is described as a, what's the word to use? A Greek. And many people believe that that in, in um, means that he was a, a Gentile, that he was not necessarily a believer. So it's very possible that he grew up in a house with two very different views and opinions about God. And his mother made it a point to make sure that no matter what, no matter what dad brought into the mix, no matter what dad brought in to the conversation, that she was going to see to it that God was the center of it all. And she did it in some very specific ways. The first thing that we see here is that she installed a respect for Scripture. She restalled a respect for Scripture. You see this in this particular passage where Paul says, look, I am, I am convinced, he says, that you have continued in what you have learned 
and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learn it. But he says, look, I can tell by our conversation with you. I can tell by our uh, interactions with you that you have learned the word of God. I'm sure that that was evident in the way he spoke. I'm sure that was evident in the way he acted. That was evident in the way he carried himself. And we're going to see that in the last section here of our conversation that we're going to have this morning. But he goes on, and I love this idea that we read in this next kind of thought here from 2 Timothy 1. He goes, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. How did they instill this love and respect of Scripture? I think two things here that we see in their lives. Number one is the type of faith that they live. What what's the description of their faith here? What's the word before faith? Sincere. They lived a sincere faith. They lived a faith that was not, um, it was not fake. They lived a faith that was not, you know, you've heard me talk before, it wasn't that Sunday morning mask face that everything in my world is falling apart and I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to do. But boy, when I walk in the doors of a church building and I put that church mask on and I pretend like everything is okay, there's not a facade there with these ladies. They lived a sincere and genuine and caring, loving, consistent faith in front of Timothy every single day. I don't believe that there is any other way and method to teach sincere faith other than living a sincere faith. I can tell my children all day long the things that they need to do and the way that they need to act, the, the direction in their life that they need to go. But if I tell them one thing and act another way, what are they more than likely going to do? They're more than likely going to follow my actions. That's just the way kids are, right? If I tell the kids you do this and then I don't do it, they're not going to be as persuaded to do that because if it's not important enough to me to do it, then why should it be important enough to them? So they were sincere in the ways and the things that they did. But I also love the phrase or the word here, lived and lives. I love these two words because to me, it just really emphasizes the idea that they allowed God to dwell in their hearts. He lived there. He took up residence in their life. In, in, in our journey, in my own personal family journey, over the last 14 years, we uh, have, have worked in, in uh, uh, one, two, three, this is, I guess it's Blair and I've gotten married. This is our fourth place that we've worked together um, over the 14 years. Uh, but this is the only place that we've ever stopped and bought a home. All the other places felt very much like it was the next step to the next place. Uh, and so we rented a lot of homes. We, we lived in a lot of other people's houses. And along the way, you know, you would do things to try to personalize that, but it never really completely felt like yours in, in, many, in many ways uh, until we bought our first home and, and were blessed with that. And we definitely live in that house. We definitely live in that house. It has Valentine from the front door to the back door to the outside. The Valentine mark is there in some way, some fashion, everywhere you turn. And, and, and we're comfortable in that. We're comfortable there. That is, that is where we have settled down. And I think a sincere faith that lives in you, when you allow God to live in you, you have this idea that you let him settle there. 
you let him just have control. If God says, hey, you know what? This room's a mess. We need to clean it up, repaint it, reorganize it, straighten it up. God comes into that room and you allow him to do that because he lives there. He dwells there. And when God comes into your life and he says, hey, look, there's something over here. We've got to clean up. This part of your life is a mess. When he dwells there, you go, okay, God, do what you need to do. And you get in there with him, you roll your sleeves up, and together you clean out the rooms of your life. That's how you live a sincere faith, as you let God dwell in you. And in that, your children will see that every single day. You can fill your life with a lot of things. You can fill your time with a lot of things. You can push your kids in a lot of directions. If you're not living a sincere faith, I can promise you this, more than likely your kids will not live a sincere faith either. If, you're, if, if you get to this time in their life where they're grown and gone and you're looking at them and going, well, why didn't they do this or why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they living this? Why, why aren't they committed to God? It could very well be because as you were raising them, you weren't as committed to God in this sincere faith as you should have been. It is so important for you to live that right here, right now, every single day. I just imagine, I just imagine from, from infancy, him learning about Samson, Samuel, David, Ruth, like many of us, the same stories, the same stories that we have learned as children, Timothy learned as a child, and they taught him this respect for Scripture. All right, let's go to this next idea. This next idea is they instilled in him an authentic faith. Okay, not just a sincere faith, but an a love for Scripture, but an authentic faith, um, which we've kind of already talked about a little bit. I was talking to a friend the other day. We were talking about kids. He's got four kids. He's older than me. His, his kids are all grown and married and, uh, and out of the house. They have grandkids. And he said that stress is inherited. It comes from your children. And uh, for all you young parents, you're, you're slowly learning that, right? Um, stress is inherited. It comes from your children. Faith is not inherited. It is learned. Uh, we have to allow Jesus to take up worship in our hearts. But then it's not just letting him take, I'm sorry, take up uh, dwelling in our hearts. But it's not just that. We have to then, they have to see us living that every day. They have to see us reading our Bibles. They have to see us praying. They have to see us attending worship. You, they, they have to know that if, no matter what's going on, you're going to bring them to this youth event and you're going to make sure that they are there and they are part of that. You're going to help them grow spiritually. You're going to live that faith in front of them. I kind of got ahead of myself in some of my thoughts, so that point went rather quickly. The third and final thing this morning is instill a desire to minister. Instill a desire to to minister. Let's go to Acts chapter 16 and look at verses 1 through 3. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish, a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. I believe there's some things here that we can that we can take from, from his life and see about the way he was raised. The first thing I believe that this tells us is that he was a strong believer himself because he's referred to as a disciple. He's referred to as a disciple. We've talked a lot in our conversations about Scripture and about growing in our faith and growing our church about discipleship. That Christian, being a Christian in today's world is really kind of a watered-down word, and, and that's not really fair 
And then sometimes we look at the word disciple and we look at it as a, a, a higher echelon of Christians. Everybody's a Christian, but some of Christians are disciples. They're a little more sold out. No, God just calls us to the standard of discipleship. That's it. That's our standard. And they looked at him and they said, he's living the standard. He is a believer. He had learned what the word said. He had instilled it in his own life and he had put it into motion and other people could see that he was a believer. The second thing is because of that, he had a good reputation. If you are a true believer in God and a true follower of God and a true disciple of God, your reputation in our community is going to reflect that. It really is. It's going to reflect positive things. But then I think the third thing that I want us to really focus on here is that he was available. What is the first thing he says about him here? He goes, Timothy, there was a disciple named Timothy. Um, The believer spoke well of him. I guess it was Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. He saw this young man and he saw the disciple living, a disciple living a discipleship life. And he said, I've got to put him on my team. I've got to put him on my team and get him in the game and put him to work. And what we see in Timothy is Timothy has the same problem that Alex has. What is that problem, Alex? If I ask Alex to do something, you know what Alex is going to say? Yes. Alex is going to say yes. You know how we know he's going to say yes? And I think I've told this story once. Caleb and I figured it out. Several weeks ago, Caleb goes, let's see if Alex will really say yes to everything. And so we had the sheet of songs for that night. And um, Caleb went up to him and was like, hey, we're all leading a song at singing night tonight. Pick you one out. I was convinced Alex would be like, I'm not leading the song. You know what he does? He goes, I think I know that one. I'll lead that one. And Caleb goes, I've got to lead a song now. (laughs) As much as we kind of pick at Alex about being a yes guy. When it comes to service to God, we should always be available. We should always be willing to say yes to God. We should always be willing to say yes to his service. It doesn't matter if it's out of our comfort zone. Because guess who else is going to be there outside of our comfort zone with us? It's going to be God. It doesn't matter if you don't think you have time. Because guess what? It's God. The God that gives you time. The God that gives you breath. Moses used that kind of excuse. He looked at, he calls Moses to do something, to go and to speak on his behalf. And what's Moses' excuse? He goes, I'm not good with words. What does God say? Who put your tongue in your mouth? Don't give me excuses. Be available. Parents, it is so vital for you as you're raising your children as you're teaching them to throw a football, as you're teaching them to throw a curveball, as you're teaching them to to shoot three-pointers, as you're teaching them to to cheer and to flip and to do all these things, as you're teaching them to play instruments, as you're teaching them to love the arts, whatever it is you're teaching them, it is so important that you at least put the same amount of effort into teaching them to develop their spiritual gifts as well. So that when the moment comes that they're asked to serve, They say yes. They say yes. There's a former elder in the church that I grew up in um, who tells his story of raising his oldest son 
who is who has over the last handful of years slowly climbed the coaching ranks in professional baseball. He started out at the high school level and then into um, the collegiate level and did well. Now he is a coach in minor league, a head coach in minor league baseball uh, and doing well in his life and in that career. And the reason that he is doing well in that life and in that career, as this elder will tell you, is because that, or this former elder, is because that is what they made the emphasis in their life, service to that sport. He said there's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with being successful in baseball. But it came at the expense of preparing him to say yes to God. And he regrets that decision all the time. And, and, and he talks about that very openly. It is our job as parents to teach them to grow in their faith so that they can become a difference maker in the world, so that they can share their faith with others, so that they can minister in the church and in their school, so that they can serve those who are hurting, so they can serve as missionaries, so that they can identify their spiritual gift and use them on a regular basis. If we don't develop them to serve, then we have failed them, we have failed the church, and we have failed our God. And I know that none of us want to be failures in the eyes of God. We have a great responsibility as parents, as mothers, as fathers, as grandparents. We have a great responsibility in this life. And, and, and on today, it's great and wonderful to take just a moment and be reminded, not that you shouldn't every other day of the year, but to just say, thank you, mothers, for all that you have done. But also understand that our job, your job, my job as a parent is so important. And the future of our church depends on the disciples that we raise in these days. Let's pray as we close our time together. God, we thank you for the chance to be in your presence. We thank you for an opportunity to study from your word today. We thank you for the chance that we have to honor mothers. Your mother was an important to you, Jesus. And even on the cross, some of your last words were making sure that your mother was taken care of. And we pray that we live that example every day of loving our mothers as you loved yours. Be with us. Help us to always be grateful for the blessings that are in our life that come from you, God, regardless of how small or insignificant they might be. If they are from you, then they are holy blessings, and we are grateful for them. Thank you for Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you need to make a change in your life and recommit to God, if you need to put him on in baptism and have your sins washed away, we give you that opportunity now as we stand and sing this song of invitation. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. 
Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram. And Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Demand.